anniversary celebration for a dear couple in our church this afternoon. Um, so these guys have worked hard today, and thank you, JT and praise team. Thank you, and thank you for inviting us. It's a it's a pleasure for us. It's an honor for us to be here. Um, I really couldn't remember because Donnie Clayton and I are kind of alike in that the. Well, here's let me let me clarify what I'm about to say. Some of you have already seen you're quick to sit down and you're quick to jump to conclusions. You think you know what I'm about to say, but you don't know what I'm about to say. In fact, like Donnie Clayton, I might forget what I'm about to say. That was my point. Okay, that um, I couldn't remember the last time that I'd actually been here to speak, and it, it has been. Uh, it was in 1994. Wanda Joe told me, and. Um, it was it was a blessing to where are you sitting where's Wanda Joe okay yeah see I was all right till you came up and started talking to me a minute ago about about how the Lord worked in your life then but thank you thank you um let's pray together father we do bless you and thank you for your faithfulness to us over so many years um God thank you for uh, being the same yesterday, today, and forever, thank you that your grace for us is sufficient. It covers our past. Lord, for those who are in Christ tonight and have uh, received that grace and forgiveness that you offer, Lord, our sins are as far as the east is from the west, and we thank you for the, for the freshness that gives us in our walk with you. Thank you that that grace that saved us sustains us every day and is available to us, Lord. Thank you that you have called us not to live a, a life of, um, without purpose, a life without intention or meaning that, Lord, you have given us, um, Lord, the keys to your kingdom and called us to be a part of that work. And I thank you for that. And I pray you'd remind us of that tonight, Lord. Um, I thank you for Theresa Church. I thank you for um, just your work here over the years and, God, for the fact that what you have started, you're going to be faithful to complete. And uh, we bless you tonight, Lord, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's think for a minute about a beginning. Let me just read you what might be familiar to some of you. On this Lord's Day, a group of those who were members of the First Baptist Church of Roxborough, North Carolina, having secured their letters, met at long store for the organization of a Baptist church, missionary in faith and order. The church called Reverend Clyde E. Sullivan as its pastor, and on a motion, the church was named Theresa Baptist Church after Mr. Sullivan's wife. And so began Theresa Baptist Church on May the 27th, 1934. Those are from your original church minutes. I've read them several times. They're in a book about the history of the Beulah Baptist Association that I have. Uh, I think they're on your website, too, when it talks about your church's history. That was the beginning 86, almost 86 years ago. Let's think about another beginning. You see it in the book of Acts. We're going to go back and look at Acts chapter 1, but let's, let's pick up the reading in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in the same place, excuse me, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and, be and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at the sound of the multitude coming together, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Perga, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? It started with an itinerant preacher and 12 common, for the most part, uneducated men. Luke tells us that by the time three years were over after this itinerant preacher, whose name was Jesus, after those three years, it had grown to around 120. Later on, we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 that on one day, it grew by over 3,000. You guys baptized 22 on your first Sunday, 86 years ago. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. They baptized 3,000 that day as that church was born. And it grew by the fourth century, we're told. So in about 400 years, it grew to be over 34 million. It's incredible. And before it was all said and done, it had displaced the pagan religion of the most powerful empire on the earth at the time. And Christianity went on, this church went on to be the dominant religion. Today, if you, if you trust what they tell us, those who do the research, there's over two and a half billion, billion adherents to Christianity. It's phenomenal. Christianity has changed cultures and civilizations. It's changed science. It's changed governments. It's changed medicine. It's changed education. It's literally changed whole countries. And it's changed billions of lives. How in the world did that happen? How how did what started out with 13... 13 men that most of the culture just ignored and grew to be the most dominant religion in the world and literally still is changing cultures, literally still is changing communities and cities. How, how did that happen? Well, a couple of things happened before Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, that for a second we need to look at in Acts chapter 1. So, if, if you've already looked in Acts at chapter 2, then flip back to Acts chapter 1 for just a minute. I want you to see tonight that we are part of a continuing story, okay? Theresa Church, Westwood, all these churches with what I would put a small C in the front of them, and then the big C Universal Church. We are all part of a continuing story. And listen, church, each one of you as individual followers of a Christ have a role to play in that story that is more important than anything else you do as long as you're drawing breath on this earth. It is more important than anything else you do as long as you're drawing breath on, breath on this earth. 
I'll show you what I mean by that in just a second. So in Acts chapter 1, we have these opening words from Luke writing to a man named Theophilus. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to teach and do. Remember that. All that he began. All that he began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. First thing I want you to remember is the continuation. This is a continuation. Luke is saying Jesus began to do things in the gospels. And in the book of Acts, this is the to be continued part. Except those little dots after the to be continued dot, 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 dot. They go on now to 2020. We're still a part of this continuing story. So as this story continues to unfold, then what Luke begins to tell us is what transpired in this 40 days between the time that Jesus rose from the grave and ascended back to heaven. And what mattered then matters now. Okay, we need to see that from this first chapter in the book of Acts. The continuation was built on a certainty. And the certainty that it was built on was the resurrection. Okay? What transformed these uneducated, itinerant men and women into the most powerful voice that was used to change the world? It was the fact that the one that they worshipped had been crucified, buried, and raised, and not just raised, but then ascended back up to heaven. We're going to see that in just a second. So there's this absolute certainty of the resurrection. Last week at Westwood, we sang, Christ the Lord is risen today. And I said then, and I've thought about it even this week since then, we really ought to be singing that every Sunday, not just on Easter. Christ the Lord is risen today. That's why What we do for him and his kingdom and his church matters more than anything else we do. Because he is alive. He is risen. Amen? Amen. And and we have to preach that to ourselves. It's it's that good old news becomes old after a while, and we don't even think about it anymore. And that's unfortunate because it's the most powerful news the world has ever heard. So there's a continuation based on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And not only just the resurrection, but that time that Jesus was on the earth with the disciples, Luke tells us that he was teaching them. He was really reminding them of things that he had told them before. And that was about the kingdom. The message that Jesus was preaching was the same thing that John the Baptist was preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. What are we to do in response to that? Repent. Get in line. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so here's what Luke writes in the gospel of Luke. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. I'm in Luke 24. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. (laughs) I love that. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, Jesus said, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So you hear a continuation based on the reality of the resurrection, 
the message of which is the kingdom of God that has been initiated by Christ and confirmed by the fact that he was raised from the dead. And as Jesus continues to teach, he goes back to the Old Testament. I love your pastor. I've, I've, I've grown to know Ben over, over the months and just I know his heart and I, and I love that he wants to see you as, as members of this body of Christ growing in your knowledge of the gospel, growing in your knowledge of Christ, growing in your knowledge of the word, growing in the understanding that what's in this Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the story of Jesus. It doesn't just start in Matthew. From Genesis to Revelation, it's God's story of redemption. And Jesus was emphatic about teaching that to his disciples, just as we should be so diligent to learn that now. And so he was teaching them about himself through the prophets, through all that was in the Old Testament. And then he leads up to this promise that he said, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Okay? So Pentecost is coming. What I just read in Acts chapter 2 is coming. But before that takes place, at the end of this 40 days, something happens in the life of those disciples in the life of Christ, and in our lives too. Notice, notice what it says there in Acts, starting in verse 6. Acts 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the end of the earth. So now all of a sudden, this continuing story, based on the resurrection of Christ, about how he's going to build his kingdom, comes in like a laser focus on a command that's given to them and to us. We just, we just sang it in that beautiful Getty hymn. And there's this commission given to them and to us. But I want you to notice something. And here's, here's the danger. It was a danger then, and it's a danger now. Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom? Notice how easy it is for the disciples and for us to all of a sudden get distracted by the politics of the day and the understanding of world power structures. They had been looking for and even continued to look for Jesus to initiate not the kingdom that he had in mind, not the kingdom of God that he was initiating, but they were looking for something political, something militarily, something that was going to overthrow the Roman government. And I'm not going to belabor this point, but I just want us to recognize it's easy for politics and the world's understanding of power structures to distract God's people from the kingdom purpose that he's given us, okay? That is easy to happen. And listen, church, it's going to get rampant between now and November. It's going to get crazy, just like it did last time. And my point is not to dissuade us from being involved in our country's political structure. It is simply to, simply to help us keep a focus. That we serve a risen Savior who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he has called us into his kingdom tonight if you're a part of Christ. If you're in Christ, he has called you to his kingdom. 
Now, he's called you to be a good kingdom citizen here in the United States. But let's keep our focus, okay? He is king, and it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter what party they're from as far as God's kingdom goes, okay? I'm thankful for those few amens, but that, I, I just, that's, that's free, okay? I just, because the disciples were distracted. Will you restore your kingdom and overthrow those, overthrow those battle Romans? And that's not at all what Jesus was about. He says, no, no. In, in this commission, there's a promise. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit and the power that would come with him. And that promise of power is given for a specific purpose. So you can be my witnesses. And you have that power for that purpose for a whole population, for the world, for, to reach all the peoples, as, as Matthew puts it in his commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, panta ethne, every people group. Go to all the nations. So that's, that's, the, that's the purpose that Jesus had instilled in them and does in us. That's your purpose, Teresa Church. It's our purpose at Westwood. And we're not in competition. We need to remind ourselves of that. It's not us on that side of town and you on this side of town. God forgive us for our territorialism. God forgive us. We have a, a lost community around us that needs Jesus. And Jesus has given us this commission. So these apostles had this understanding. They had this commission. They had this, this promise of power. And all of that was based on this absolute historical fact of the resurrection of Christ. But here's what I want us to think about for just a second. It's not just his resurrection. Okay? When we talk about the gospel... What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the good news, right? I mean, tonight you might be here and you've never trusted in Jesus. And this church, West, this church at Theresa, or, or that church at Westwood, we have one thing to offer you tonight if you've never trusted in him, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He was God incarnate, wrapped human flesh, came to this earth, lived among us. The writer of Hebrews says he was acquainted with our griefs in every way except without sin. He went to the cross after living a perfect life that God requires. We can't do it. Jesus did. He died the death that we deserved. And he died with nothing. They buried him in somebody else's grave. And three days later, God raised him up confirming that he was who he said he was. It was God's big amen to everything that Jesus had said and taught. And then after 40 days, listen, this is, this is a part of the gospel. He was exalted, ascended back up into heaven. And we don't talk about the ascension much. We don't talk so much about what happened on that hillside that day when Jesus was taken up into heaven out of the disciples' side. And I wanted to make it a point of that tonight because that's, it's critical. We're working through the book of Ephesians right now at Westwood. And it's critical for us to recognize who we are in Christ and what God has done for us in Christ by the fact that he has taken Jesus back into heaven as he has done. And so look at it in the book of Acts. It says... 
when he had said these things, I'm in verse nine, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I don't know when the last time you actually thought about or heard a sermon about or read about or just took a minute to meditate on or think about the fact that Jesus ascended back up into heaven and is there now. Why, why is that a big deal? Why would I take the time tonight to, to talk about that? Here's the deal. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, that the power that raised Christ from the dead, he has a whole list of words to describe that power. Exceedingly great, abundant. He goes on and on describing this power that took Jesus, raised him up from the grave, and, and the word he uses, exalted him back up into heaven. And he says that same power is the power that's available to us as followers of Christ. And we don't see it the way we ought to, which is why Paul prays in Ephesians that the eyes of our hearts would be open so that we would see that exceedingly great power that is ours. But the fact that Jesus was ascended back up into heaven in full glory, let me, let me talk for just a second. Let's think for a second why that's critical that we understand that. One of the things that we want to think about is, is, is this word glory. When you think about glory, what do you think about? Shining lights? Think about Charlton Heston coming down off the mountain glowing like a 60-watt light bulb, you know? Some of you will remember that and know what I'm talking about, okay? Some of you just need to Google it, okay? Google glory and see if Charlton Heston comes up. I'd be curious if that happens. It might. Maybe not. Maybe not. But the ascension of Jesus, because the disciples saw this, they saw him lifted back up into heaven, and that ascension of Christ and that glory of Christ that he returns to should remind us. I think the Bible would, would point us back to that Shekinah glory that led the Israelites through the wilderness. That glory of God that descended on the mountain. That's the glory of God that the disciples saw on that mountaintop when Jesus was transfigured before their eyes. And all of a sudden, all of glory in him burst out and they saw it there momentarily. That's, that's part of what the ascension is a picture of, a reminder of, of Jesus returning to that glory that was his from the very beginning. And, and that glory of our Christ now, that's where he's at now, seated in glory. We lose the vision of that glory, of his magnificence, of his beauty, of his splendor. But he ascended back up to that from which he came, Paul tells us in Philippians. He left that for our sake and came to us. It's incredible. And he ascended back up into it. The ascension of Jesus reminds us of that. And it reminds us that he is worthy of our worship. But in a different way, even than before he came. Have you thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that the worship that Jesus received after he went back to heaven was different than what he received before he came? I think Revelation shows us that. In the book of Revelation in chapter 5, it says in verse 9, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain 
And by your blood, you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, singing with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus rose from the grave, appeared to those disciples in a glorified body, right? It was, it was different from when he went into that tomb, but recognizable. They saw him for who he was. And church, I believe he ascended back up into heaven with that same glorified body and is seated right now at the right hand of the Father in that same glorified body. He was different. He went back to heaven with scars in his hands from the nails and scars in his feet from the nails and scars on his brow from the crown of thorns and a scar in his side from the spear. And he was worshiped as the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And has has bought with his blood people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that mission still goes on. You were bought with his blood. And he is worshipped because of that. And that vision should motivate us and instill in us this drive to honor him for the glory that he's worth. For the glory that he's due. He ascended back up. I love the fact that this ascension means that Jesus is in a real place. Heaven is a real place. Okay. Now, I don't know exactly where it's at in, in this understanding of these dimensions, eternal and temporal. The Bible seems to indicate that it is up, right? He, he did go up, right? Yeah. I mean, Jacob saw the ladder ascending and descending from heaven. It went up, okay? There's indications that Stephen looked up and he, he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand. The Bible tells us he's going to come down. New Jerusalem will come with him. So I don't know exactly where it's at, but Jesus didn't just poof off into a cloud someplace and into some nothingness. Heaven is a real place, right? And here's the other thing. Not only is it a real place, but he's getting it ready for us. I go and prepare a place for you, he said. So this ascension, this exaltation of Jesus, the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and the glory of that resurrection was just confirmed and multiplied as he was ascended back up into heaven. That's the king we worship tonight, church. That's the one we serve. And he's coming back. The angel promised that. And what will we be found doing in the meantime? What's occupying our our hearts, our lives, what's occupying our time and our resources. Jesus is there. Praise God. And he's he's interceding for us, the word tells us, praying for us as we go about what he's called us to do. So here's my, as we're working our way through these first two chapters of Acts, there's a story that continues, a mission that continues. We're a part of it. It's based on the exaltation of Jesus, which includes his resurrection and his ascension. We are serving a risen Savior who's in the world today, we sing. But he is also in heaven, interceding at the right hand of the Father on our behalf, ruling and reigning sovereignly over everything, everything. That's our king. And so as we continue to see in the book of Acts, the commission is given, the spirit is promised, Jesus is lifted up, the spirit's poured out. These men and women are empowered. As I said a minute ago, Peter stands up then 
as we go back to Acts chapter 2 and begins to proclaim a message. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just follow along with me in your, in your, in your copy of the word there in Acts chapter 2. All of these people were hearing these languages. They were hearing their own language, but they were hearing one message. They were hearing the message of Jesus. And they were perplexed. They were amazed. What does all this mean? Well, Peter stands up to tell them what he means. And in Acts 2.14, standing with the eleven, it says, Peter lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And he went on to explain to them that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit they saw was just the fulfillment of God's promises from the Old Testament. God keeps his promises, Peter said, and we're, we're evidence of that. What you're hearing and seeing is God keeping his promise. We're in those last days, Peter says, and God is fulfilling his promise. And what is it that the Holy Spirit empowers Peter to preach? Well, look at verse 22. Acts 2, 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then down in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What a difference about two months makes. Probably about 50 days. What a difference it makes. This is Peter, okay? You remember Peter? In the courtyard outside that false trial of Jesus. And when a little servant girl confronts him about his knowledge of Jesus, he curses and denies that he ever knew the man. What a difference a few weeks makes in Peter's life. Peter denied him. Jesus came to him, we see in the Gospels, and restored him, forgave him, called him to a place of service. And here he stands up and makes this amazing proclamation. He's the chief spokesman for the church that God is birthing here. And he's about to see 3,000 people saved under his preaching. Don't let that intimidate you, Ben. Okay? Don't, don't, let, that, uh, don't, don't let that intimidate you, Gerald. Okay? Just because this uneducated fisherman got 3,000 that day. What a difference 50 days makes. What a difference the Holy Spirit makes. Maybe that was the deal, right? Wow. Jesus had made a promise that the Holy Spirit would be given to them, that the Holy Spirit would give them the words that they needed in John 15, and now Peter sees that happening. And what a difference the gospel makes. Listen, here's Peter, walked with Jesus, been forgiven by Jesus, been restored by Jesus, been called by Jesus, and you know what? Tonight, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, you could substitute your name in there. Forgiven by Jesus. Restored by Jesus. Called by Jesus. Given a commission by Christ. Put your name in there. The story continues. And you're a part of it. 
And Peter stood up and he preached this message under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was a simple gospel message. It was a simple gospel message. He basically said, you all have heard of this, Jesus. You saw some of his signs and wonders. You know well what he did. And he says, God in his sovereign knowledge and in his great mercy preordained, foreordained that Christ would suffer and die. This was God's plan. And you did it. Meaning, God was sovereign over it. You carried out the crime and you're accountable for it. Wait a minute, Gerald. If God purposed it and they did it, how could he hold them accountable? That's a different sermon. (laughs) But it's true. God ordained it. God carried it out. They nailed the hands to the cross and they were guilty of a crime against holy God. My point is that Jesus, God was in absolute control, okay? He was in absolute control. And there was no limit to how far he would go to save rebels like you and me. No limit. And he gave Peter the power to stand up and preach that message and proclaim that to the people around him. And it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter's message was just as simple. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness, continuing to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. That seems so long ago, right? And it seems so extraordinary. But listen, beloved, things like this are happening every day in parts of our world. They're not happening in Roxborough. But they are happening in places around this world because the same Jesus is still on the throne. His same Holy Spirit is still empowering his church. And that same gospel message that saved 3,000 then is saving people by the thousands in closed countries, in Muslim countries where they're meeting in, in houses and in dark rooms for fear. God is at work in this world. The story continues in places all around the world. And he's empowering his church to that end. And the Holy Spirit has one job, had one job then and has one job now. Jesus said, he will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is at work. And desiring to to work and move in each one of us to be a part of this continuing story, to be a part of this mission, to be a part of this. So, 2,000 years ago, a church was born in Jerusalem. 86 years ago, a church was born here in this community. Wasn't quite that long ago at Westwood. What is it now? 50, 55, something like that. But this story is continuing. We're going we're gonna to see tomorrow night how, how this church began to move and work in that community and then spread out around the world. And it's extraordinary because it would not be the way we would have chosen for it to happen. It happened in small little steps, small little assemblies, small little homes, small little gatherings. 
But a church was born then. Church was born here. Here's the question I want to leave us with for a minute. Why? Why? Why did God choose to see fit to put this church here in this part of our community 86 years ago? Why did he choose to put Westwood over there 55 years ago? Why? And I think the answer to that is seen throughout the rest of the book of Acts, but I also think the answer is seen, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, and I I can't go back and preach whatever, four or five sermons in just a few minutes, but I want to make a connection here. And it's a connection that has just continue just to rock my little brain for the last few weeks. So flip over to Ephesians for just a second. And look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. The book of Ephesians begins with just one long praise. Just, it's really one long sentence um, in the first part of Ephesians. Paul begins with just this, it's just pouring out of his heart. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he goes on then to pour out what those blessings are. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, he says. If that weren't enough, he says, in love he predestined us to be his children. He he chose to adopt us into his family and make us his children, his heirs. He chose to bless us in Christ with this lavished grace that he just pours out on us. It's not stingily given. We have redemption through his blood, he says, the forgiveness of sins. He just pours it out on all that God has done for us in Christ, that he purposed before the foundation of the world, and that he's carrying out in each of our lives as he works that plan out. It's astounding. And then he breaks into this prayer. Now, I have challenged our folks and I've challenged myself to to pray this prayer for each other every day for a period of time. Just to, if, if you want to know how to pray for your pastor, if you want to know how to pray for your deacons, if you want to know how to pray for each other here in this church, then I think you can turn to, to, to Ephesians chapter 1 and you can see how it is that you should pray. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering, in your, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, he says. So Paul's praying that the eyes of our hearts would be opened so that we could see and understand certain spiritual truths. So that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, he says, so that you would know first the hope of your calling. We sang about that hope tonight. Secondly, he says, I pray that not only you would know that hope of your calling, but you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And I won't take the time to develop that, but we have an inheritance that we're going to receive from him, right? Because we are his children. But listen, you are his inheritance. We as his church are his heritage. We are God's precious possession, Later on, Paul's going to say in Ephesians chapter 3, which I think is one of the most astounding comments in the whole New Testament, that one day God is going to hold up his church to the principalities and powers in this unseen place, and he's going to hold up the church 
as an example of his creativity and his marvelous grace. One day there's going to be show and tell in heaven and the church is going to be God's show and tell. Do you think maybe we ought to take it a little more seriously than we do? Do you think maybe we ought to put a little more, I don't want to say effort, but maybe that. Sound like a football coach if I'm not careful, but... This is, this is no small thing that he's called us to here at the church. church. So he prays that we would understand the hope of our calling, that we would understand who we are in Christ and what is the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us, he says. And then what he says is this. And this it says when, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And listen to this. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is saying... That Christ was exalted up into the heavens at that ascension. And he took a seat of sovereign rule over this universe. And all things are under his dominion. It may not look like it now, but all things, all things are under his dominion. And Christ is filling all things. In the end, everything will be filled. In fact, the prophets prayed that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as waters cover the earth. That's where God's going with this, that the earth will be filled with his glory. How is he planning on doing that? Look at the person beside you. Look at the church. That's how he plans to do it. What? (laughs) Yes. His intention is to fill this earth with the knowledge of him through his redeemed church. That's his purpose. That's his plan. He's put all things under the feet of Jesus. Everything is under his authority, given him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's, here's what one writer said. The world will ultimately and eternally yield to the influence of the church because it is the body of him who is the head over all. And thus it contains and exerts his power on behalf of his own glory. All that is here, he is head over. And all of that has been placed under his head for the sake of his purposes in the church. I, I said that a couple of weeks ago at Westwood. I say it again here tonight, and, I, and it just blows my mind that those words are there. The church, big C church and little C church like Theresa and Westwood and others, God's intent and purpose for us is astounding. He means to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory through Christ, through the redeemed people of God. That's you in the church. That's us in the church. So do you understand what I said a few minutes ago, that there is nothing more important than that? Nothing. Nothing we do is going to have the eternal significance that it does through the body of Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians that the fullness of God dwelt in Christ. That the church is filled with Christ. He is our fullness. And how is it that Christ intends to fill this world with his fullness? Well, it's through his body, through his hands and feet, through his church.
I had a systematic professor of theology that said some of us goofy students looked at him like a calf looking at a new gate. That's the look I'm getting from some of you right now. <laughs> like a calf looking at a new gate. I didn't write it. <laughs> but revival will come to the church. When we recognize that our king is exalted and lifted up above all principalities and powers, he is sovereign over all. And he has poured out his spirit on us. He has poured out his spirit on us so that we will be filled with his power. The power that raised him from the grave is available to us to carry out that mission that he's given us, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, starting right here on Chubb Lake, starting right here in this community, out at McGee's Mill, and Timberlake. He has called us to this grand and glorious mission, church. The power that raised Jesus from the grave is ours. It's, it's an incredible promise. And so here's, here's, here's a point of application for you. There's nothing, nothing insignificant that's done in service to our king through the life of his church. Nothing. Changing those dirty diapers in the nursery on Sunday morning, that's not insignificant. Serving this church as a God-called deacon, that's massive. Serving this church as a Sunday school teacher, Serving this church as a faithful, God-honoring, worship-attending, fellowship-growing member is eternally significant. Walking with Jesus in fellowship with one another, loving one another, sharing one another's burdens, rejoicing in those celebrations of life and crying together in those sorrows of life, that's eternally significant. That is a huge deal. And it is a gift. It is a gift. And I fear that many of you may be like me. After a long time, some of it just gets rote. It gets routine. Just go. We just do. We just come on Sunday morning because that's, that's what we do. That's, that's part of what we've been called to. We serve a risen Savior who's been exalted above everything. Everything is under his feet. Everything is under his control. And he's exerting that control on behalf of his church because it is his church that is going to fill this earth with the knowledge of his glory. It is his church that he's going to use to change Roxborough. It is his church. I shared this with my church, and it's important we recognize this. I love My Life Matters. I, I, I serve in it. Our church supports it. I love the International Mission Board. I love Wycliffe Bible Translators. None of those are the church. None of those are promised to fill the earth with the glory of God. That's only the church. They are there to support the church. Tim Bowes will tell you, we are there to support the church, to be a part of what God has called the church to do. So I say it again, nothing you do here is insignificant. It deserves everything you can give and then recognize that I can't give enough. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in me that does it. And again, tonight before we close, Peter stood up before a bunch of lost people that day 
and he proclaimed that Jesus had come. Jesus had come and lived sinlessly, demonstrated the power of God in his life and in his miracles, and had laid down his life voluntarily so that those people could be saved. And that message is for you tonight, too, if you've never trusted in Jesus. And maybe you've heard it a bunch. But maybe tonight the Holy Spirit would take you and just pierce your heart with that reality. But this has been a message primarily for you as the church, right? That our Jesus is resurrected, ascended. He's given us a commission. He's given us the power to do it. And we're going to begin to see in the book of Acts how that unfolds. And it's going to have practical applications for every, every one of our lives. But tonight, let's just recognize that our ascended king has called us to be a part of this continuing story. Let's pray together. Father, you are grand and glorious. Christ Jesus, you are lifted up and exalted above every name that is named. Dominions, principalities, and powers all are under your dominion. And I pray that we as your people would be surrendered to that same dominion and lordship tonight. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who maybe they've trusted in Christ, they've professed him. Many maybe have walked with you for a long time, but Lord, other things have distracted, other things have hindered. Maybe we've allowed the, the, the things of this world to stand up and kind of be a roadblock in our walk with you. Lord, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, reveal those to us, open the eyes of our hearts to see what is hindering us, Lord, from being a part of what you've called us to do. If there is someone here tonight, Lord, that has never trusted in Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would see your glory, God, your saving grace in the eyes of that precious Savior, that they'd see his hand stretched out on the cross, paying the penalty for their sins, that they would see him resurrected and alive, proving that he is able to conquer anything in their life, that he is able to redeem them from anything. Father, thank you that no one in this room is so far gone that your loving, gracious hands can't reach out and pull them to you. And Father, I pray for us as your church to be just on fire for your glory in those circles of influence where you've placed us, Lord, in our families, in our marriages, with our kids, in our jobs. God, I pray your blessing on this precious church. And I pray, God, for your revival in our hearts. And I do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Your pastor's going to.